Good morning. It is so wonderful to come into God's house and to praise Him and worship Him. And I believe that He delights when we gather together in His name. He delights when we praise Him with our voices. You know that one song is, He is the lifter of my head. Amen. God is so good all the time. And He is more than the lifter of our heads. He is the one that gives us breath. He is the one that gives us the very breath of life that we have every morning, that we are able to lift our heads. God is so amazing, so loving, and so kind. And I just praise Him and worship Him, and thank you that we can all gather here together this morning and worship Him as a body, the body of Christ. Amen? To all those that are here and all those that are watching online and all those that are called in, we are gathered together in His name. Amen. I'm going to continue this morning in Genesis, and I jump to Genesis chapter 12, and I titled this sermon, The Shaping of Abraham's Faith. You know, in Abraham we can see how God will use the decisions that we make to teach us, to shape us into the kind of believers, the kind of children that He wants us to be. And we can see that in the life of Abraham. Abraham, we all will agree that he was a great man of faith. A great man of faith. But he still needed God to shape him and mold him into the complete man of God that God wanted him to be. He didn't start out perfect and neither do we. We need to allow ourselves to be that clay as Rosanna mentioned this morning and to shape us. And sometimes it's not pleasant when He's shaping us, we don't like it. We don't like to be pushed and prodded and, and, and you know, molded. We like things the way they are. But God wants to shape us because He wants us to be all that we can be for Him. He wants us to be completely His. Completely His. Completely surrendered to Him. I'm preaching before I even get started, Anna. So maybe before I read the Scripture, maybe we ought to have prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You, Father. We thank You for the Holy Word that You've given us, Father, to guide us, to direct us. And, and Father, we, we know that You've given us so many examples to follow, so many examples that we can learn from, like Abraham and Moses and Noah and Jonah. And so many, Father, so many that as great men, of, great men and women of God, Father, that we can look at their examples, we can learn from them, we can learn what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Father, I just thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We believe your word to be true. We believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that every word spoken today would be for the edification of the church. Father, that we would learn, that we would be encouraged by what you have for us today. And Father, again, just, just uh, may your spirit be present. May we just feel your anointing in a mighty way today. And Father, just pray that your truth would be spoken. Your truth would be heard and understood for your glory in Jesus' precious name. And God's children said, Amen. So Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, the calling of Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 20, it is a little bit of a lengthy reading, but I'm typically known for having long readings. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, it wasn't Abraham yet, said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Friends, we experience that today. We truly are blessed because of Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And he departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place called Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So there is a promise. If God tells you He's going to do something, you better believe it is a promise. To your descendants I will give this land. And there He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to Him. And He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And He pitched His tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there again He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Today's language, she was gorgeous. She was a gorgeous woman, gorgeous to behold. So therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that, I may be, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you, not, why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So he sent him away safely with all their possessions, and no harm came to him, as he predicted it would be. You know, I was going to title this message, Abraham Believed God. And indeed he did. And indeed, he did believe God and was faithful. But as we dig into this scripture and dig into it real deep and study it, we see, as I said in the beginning, that he still needed a little shaping, a little molding to be able to grow to the complete man of God that God wanted him to be. So what was the first thing that we may have picked up on? He told Abram, to get out of your country, get away from your family, get away from your father's house, leave. He's called Abraham and only Abraham. 
So Abraham did not fully obey in that, did he? Because we read that Lot went with him. His father, Terah, went with him. But when you back up to Genesis 11, and it said Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. But you back up five years. In Genesis chapter 11, it reads, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So it was a little bit, if you would just read through that, it might appear a little confusing. It's like, is there two callings? Because it's in Genesis 12, it says he called him, he's 75. Well, the New Testament will clear this up for us, actually. Stephen clears this up for us in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. And he said to them, Brethren and fathers, listen. To God of glory, the God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. He said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So the call did come to Abram, not to Terah, his father. But it appears in Acts chapter, or I mean Genesis chapter 11 that maybe his father was taking the lead. So maybe he went to his father and said, The Lord has spoken to me and told me that we need to leave Ur, we need to leave the land of the Chaldeans. And maybe his father kind of took the lead there and said, Okay, son, let's go. But the Abraham, Abram was the one who the call came to, but he was supposed to leave his father. But his father went along with him, right? And I can understand that. Can you not understand that? Can you understand his reluctance to leave his family behind? Knowing the love that binds a family? It's understandable, isn't it? Believe me, I am not condemning Abraham, Abram here. I'm going to keep saying Abraham because he was. I'm going to say that I'm not condemning Abram because he took his father with him. Because he took Lot with him. I'm just pointing out that because of that decision, we can see consequences. First, there's a delay. There's the delay in getting to that promised land, the land of Canaan. My friends, faith demands separation from that which is evil and complete devotion to God. You say, well, why am I pointing that out? By taking his father, he was taking what may have been an influence that God didn't want Abram to have. For when we look at Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abram and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. You see it there? Abraham's father served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So there could be the reason why God waited. Waited until 
Terah had died. They, let, they dwelt in the land of Haran for five years. So they left Ur of the Chaldeans with his father, with his nephew, went to Haran for five years until finally his father passed away. That entire region of Mesopotamia worshipped many gods. The people of Ur worshipped Nana, the moon god. And God did not want that influence upon Abraham because God was calling him, separating him from that, that he might worship him, the only true God. Because Exodus 23 says, You shall have no other God before me. No other God. That was God's entire purpose for calling Abraham. To separate and make a people, to make a nation that would worship Him and worship Him alone. He is not to be worshipped among many gods, but Him alone. But then there also was consequences for taking Lot. That had brought additional consequences into Abraham's life. And I can understand Lot, or Abram wanting to take Lot along with him. You know, Lot had lost his father. His father Haran had died. And Abram kind of took him under his wing, taught him things that he wanted to teach the nephew. He had no son of his own. We know that Sarai and Abram had no children. So I'm sure that he treated him like his son. So he wanted to take him along with him. So God allowed Abram to make that decision. The same way He allows us to make decisions today. He allowed him to take Lot along, take his father along, but his father dies. So then he's moving on towards that land of Canaan. But they were so blessed. Both of them were so blessed, Abram and Lot, that their herds were so large that the land could not support them. But Abram, such a faithful, generous kind of guy that he was, said, we need to separate. We need to separate. In Genesis 13, 9, Abram says to Lot, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. He's basically saying, I don't want division among us. I don't want us to have uh, unsettledness between us. Their herdsmen were arguing with one another because one was saying they were getting the best land and the best grazing, rather. So there was some, you know, uneasiness there. Abraham, Abram says, I don't want that. You, whichever way you choose, I will go the other. He was so generous and so kind to his nephew Lot because he knew that God was going to bless him whichever way he went. You know, I had a generous uncle. Maybe I shouldn't even mention it, right? I had an uncle, Richard, that I worked with at the railroad. As a matter of fact, the one that helped me get on the railroad and enjoy 40 years, a 40-year career there. But my uncle Richard, back in 1988, he and I were the only two painters left at the railroad, at Cumberland Locomotive Shop. And they offered a buyout to some carman or painter or whatever. So my uncle Richard came to me and he says, I think I'm going to take that buyout. He goes... You know, he says, if there's a furlough down the road, he says, you won't get furloughed if I take that buyout. And I said, Richard, I said, don't let that sway your decision. 
Don't worry about me. You do what's best for you. He says, but no, I'm going to take the buyout. So he did. I think there's other reasons he took the buyout. I don't think he liked his job that well. <laughs> but I don't know if I would have gotten furloughed down the road if he wouldn't have left. Because there was a big furlough. And I did not get furloughed. But he was very generous. I know his heart. He was a very generous man. Abraham was very generous with his, nep with his nephew Lot. You choose first. I'll take what's left. I'll take what's left. This all happened before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose to go to that beautiful looking land. He dwelt in the plains by Sodom and Gomorrah where he could graze his herds and the pastures. But he dwelt in the city, Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know that Abram had to eventually go and rescue Lot. That's a whole other story. A whole other story. But we know and can see that there's consequences by not completely separating as God had told him to do. God told him to do. He didn't get to that land as soon as God intended. Then he had to eventually separate from his nephew. But even after Abram arrived in the promised land, we read and seen where God allowed something else to happen to further test his faith, to cause his faith to grow. Verse 10 said, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. My friends, God did not command Abram to go to Egypt, did He? We didn't read that in the Scripture. You know, we need to understand when circumstances our lives become difficult, that we're in that furnace of testing. We are being tested. Sometimes we like to speculate in our minds how things could have went. In my mind, I speculate, well, Abram could have stayed right there. He could have stayed in Canaan and trusted the Lord to provide for him. We know that he could have. We know that God could have provided for him. We know that God provided for Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, 8 and 9. It won't be on your screen. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There was a famine in the land. And God told Elijah, You go here and I will provide. See, we have the privilege of looking back, don't we? We have the privilege of looking back and seeing how God provides. Abraham didn't have that. But we know God could have provided. He could have said, Lord, well, I'm staying right here because this is where you called me to come to. And I trust that you'll provide. But he didn't. He did not. He allowed Abraham to make his own choice. He allowed him to make his own decision. God allows us to do that also, doesn't He? And He'll use the decisions that we make to help us grow, to mold us into what He wants us to be. Sometimes He allows us to go on our common sense. Use our own good common sense. And God can use that. He can use it. Abraham's decision now, as he journeyed to Egypt, his decision to... to yeah. I'm having a hard time with my tongue here now. His decision to tell a half-truth. That half-truth. What did it say? And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. 
Therefore, it will happen that when the Egyptians see you, that they will say this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, I just got done saying how generous he was, right? I want you to tell a little lie so it will be well with me for your sake. So we can see that he had some growing to do, didn't he? So it'll be well with you. And I went, honey, let you go ahead and lie to this guy. Well, it was a half truth because she was his half sister. That was okay back then. It's not okay today. <laughs> Just making sure we clear that up, right? It's not okay today. But you know what? God was able to use this half truth to reveal his mighty power by bringing that plague upon Pharaoh and his family, did he not? He used it for his glory. He used it to show Pharaoh, hey, this is my people. This is my people. You mess with them, you're going to get a plague. You're gonna, you may even die if you mess with the people that I said that I will bless. Those that curse Abraham will be cursed. God's showing it right here. God uses our decisions. He can use it in a mighty way. To me, I believe this is the very first example of God's divine protection upon the people that would eventually be the nation of Israel. This is the first example of it right here. God has promised that He would bless those that bless Abram. He will bless those that bless Israel, friends. He will curse those that curse Abram. And He will curse those that curse Israel. And I believe that is a promise that has went throughout the generations. When the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon completely conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation after the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell after the pomegranates. Hitler's Germany went down after its orgies of anti-Semitism. Britain lost her empire when she broke her faith with Israel. My friends, it still holds true today. Let's bless Israel. I believe that's one of the main reasons the United States was so blessed. Because we were one of the first modern nations to grant full citizenship and protect Jewish people. We are a friend and ally to Israel. We need to be faithful to those of the Jewish faith, those of Israel. God says, I will bless those who bless you. Friends, you want a blessing? Bless Israel. They are still God's people. We know that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's sons and daughters of God. We know that. But they are still a nation, I believe, blessed by God. There were further consequences, though, from this journey to Egypt. Consequences that would affect Israel or affect Abraham for the rest of his life and really affect the Jewish nation the nation of Israel, for the rest of their lives. It came when Pharaoh took Sarai to the palace. Yet he had not taken her as wife, but he had given her a maid. He gave her a maid named Hagar. And I think most people know that story. Whenever the plague came upon Pharaoh and his family, and he sent Abram and his family away, guess who went with them? Sarai's maid, Hagar. She went with them when they left. And we know that story. 
Sarai was barren, hadn't produced any offspring for Abram. My friends, that's something that's looked highly upon in that day, to bear a son, to carry on the family name. And she had not. So again, she took matters into her own hand and said, Abram, take my maid, Hagar. Go in to be with her. She will bear a son for you, for me. But that's not what God told her to do. God says, it is through Sarah, through Sarai, that you will have a son, and I will make you a great nation. So she took matters into her own hand, and she did bear a son. His name was Ishmael. But God said, no, Abram, he is not the one in whom I will bless the entire world. He is not the one into whom I will make a great nation. He did become a great nation. But we all know that there's been strife between the nation that was born of Ishmael and the nation that was eventually born through Isaac. Because God said it is through your seed, through Sarai and your seed, that I will bless the entire world. And we know that that is a promise of the Savior to come. We know that the Savior was to come through Isaac and his lineage. And it did. So he had further consequences. He dwelt with, or dealt with that throughout his life. You know, God's plan was so amazing in deciding that he's going to separate a people, a special people, create this special nation, separate them from the rest of the world, meaning those that follow the ways of the world, those that worship false gods, to build a nation that He would give His laws and His commands, that He would reveal Himself to the rest of the world. That's what He's doing here, friends. That's God's purpose. I'm going to make a nation, create a nation that I will reveal myself to the world. I will reveal my grace. I will reveal my kindness to the rest of the world. That's what Israel was supposed to do. They didn't always follow through with that, did they? But that was God's mission plan to bring salvation to the entire world. In verses 2 and 3 we read, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And we know that His name is great. Even in the Christian church, Abraham's name is great. He is considered the father. Father Abraham. The kids had songs that they sang. Father Abraham, Father Abraham. A great man. God carried through with His promise. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, this is God's plan, friends. This is not man's plan here. This is God's plan. He says, I will I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. Friends, receive it. This is God's plan. Not man's, but God's. You know, there was a symbolic example of the separation or the transformation that was supposed to take place in verses 7 and 8. In our passage, it said, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. My friends, Bethel means house of God. And Ai means ruins. So figuratively speaking, Abram and Sire were walking in the light. They were walking from east to west. So they were walking away from the city of ruin, walking away from Ai, and walking towards the house of God. They were walking towards Bethel. My friends, that is what we are supposed to do when we are separated unto God. There's a transformation that's supposed to take place. We are supposed to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Walk towards Him. Away from the ruin. Away from that which is going to be destroyed. And keep our eyes on Him. Separate ourselves unto Him as Abraham separated Himself unto God. As I said, Abram was without a doubt one of the greatest and most faithful men known among the nation of Israel and even the Christian community. One of the greatest men of faith, if not the greatest. But he didn't start out that way, did he? As we see today. He was a work in progress, was he not? Abraham was a work in progress. When we look deep into that scripture, we see he was a work in progress. One step at a time. One step at a time. Each and every decision, each circumstance, God used as the building material to build Abraham's faith into where he would be complete, where he would be mature. My friends, aren't our lives the same way? Sometimes don't we feel like in our faith walk that we take two steps forward and then one back? Sometimes we take one step forward and two steps back, don't we? Sometimes it's five steps forward and three back. I don't know. But it seems that's the way our faith is. We go forward, but then we might back up a little bit. But my friends, make sure that we don't look back to the ruin, but make sure we keep looking to Jesus. Make sure we keep looking to our Bethel, the house of God. One step at a time. God will mold us. God will build our faith if we keep our focus on Him. The highest point of Abraham's faith came with the absolute greatest test. The greatest test. You probably know what I'm going to be speaking of. Genesis 22. We know that God fulfilled His promise and gave Abraham and Sarah a son. They called him Isaac. Isaac was but a young lad. The one that God said through him, I will bless the world. But then God says, 22 verse 2, He says, Now take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. When you read that entire scripture, you don't hear Abraham saying, Lord, no. Lord, no. He's the one that you've promised. His faith had grown to the place where he just said, okay. He gets his servant, gets Isaac, loads up, and heads out. When he came to the mountain that God showed him, he left the servant there and he took his son Isaac and went up on that mountain. He went up onto that mountain. He built an altar had the wood placed on the altar. 
put His Son, bound His Son, put Him on that altar. And He's ready to obey God. Ready to sacrifice His Son there as a burnt offering. We'll pick up in verse 12 of chapter 22. And He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything from to anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. You see that? God says, now I know. Now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of the heavens and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of the sea. I added that in the sea, which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall... Possess the gates of their enemies, and your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. My friends, I think what is amazing here, he says, now. God says, now I know. Now I know. Here is that son, that, that long-awaited for son. Years have passed. Twenty-some years have passed. God fulfilled that blessing, fulfilled that promise. Abraham was a hundred years old when he had Isaac. And now God says, sacrifice him. And Abraham was willing to do that. He wasn't willing to leave his father. He wasn't willing to leave his nephew. But now his faith had grown to the point he's willing to sacrifice his son. I believe he had the faith that God would raise him from the dead because he knew that it was through Isaac that the world would be blessed. All the nations would be blessed. In the book of Nehemiah, we can see God's blessings upon the nation of Israel. Uh, verse 7 through 8 and then 24 and 25. Nehemiah 9 says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, to give it to his descendants, you have performed your works, for you are righteous. Then picking up in verse 24. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And here's what I found so amazing. And they took strong cities and rich land. And they possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. I pick Nehemiah because it shows the fulfillment of God's promises, doesn't it? Abraham was faithful. It may have took a long time, many, many years. But they went into a land there were houses already built. 
When God moved the inhabitants out, they walked into these houses. They were full of goods. They already had furniture in there. They already had food in the cupboards. They had fruit trees. They were to go out and eat of the fruit trees. Had vineyards, olive groves. In abundance, God supplied for them. I thought, that is so amazing. So amazing. My friends, think about what God has prepared for us. What did Jesus tell them? I go and prepare a place. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again. If they provided that for the nation of Israel, what do you imagine He has prepared for us? Things beyond our wildest imagination. I know that we can read in Revelations about the fruit trees we'll be able to go and eat from. The crystal clear water. God will provide. But how did these blessings come? It began with Abraham separating himself. Separating himself from the world and putting God before him. My friends, if we hope to enjoy that which he is preparing for us, we must put him before us. We must separate ourselves unto him. We must be faithful to him. We must call on his son, Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the promise. The promise given many years ago to Abram. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. The Savior of the world. Through Him, all can find the hope. The hope of eternal life. That relationship with God. Make sure we keep our focus on Him. Keep our eyes on Him. That we separate. Turn from those things that will perish. Turn from that which will be ruined. And make sure we turn to Jesus. Keep our eyes on Him each and every day. James Packard tells this story entitled it, The Father Loves You. This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort or another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold Him fast. The reason why the Bible spends so much of its time reiterating that God is a strong rock, a firm defense, and a sure refuge and help for the weak is that God spends so much of the time showing us that we are weak, both mentally and morally, and dare not trust ourselves to find or follow the right road. My friends, but we must trust Him. For we walk along a road, when we walk along a road feeling fine, and someone takes our arm, most likely we're going to shake it off. But when we walk along that road in the middle of a storm and the going's rough and someone takes our arm, we're going to take that help, aren't we? That's why God allows those rough times to come. So we will lean upon Him, that we will trust in Him. Most importantly, that we trust in Him for our redemption. He is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. James 5, 7 and 8 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord... See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord's hand. Is at hand. My friends, that is the word today. Be patient and establish your hearts and make sure God is at the center of your hearts. Amen.